Burke's on his feet. He looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey, dude, you too must be from Marin. Marin County's A-OK from Tamastin and all the way to M.A. Fresh organic veggies in the market every day. Welcome to the Run TMC podcast. That is the Run the Marin County podcast, a podcast about basketball here in Marin County. I am Duffy Ballard. I've got my iced coffee, even though it's a chilly day outside. And with me is coach and friend and basketball nerdling, David Levine. How are you, Dave? I've moved from nerdlit to nerdling. Seasons change. It's great. I've got my iced coffee as well. Thank you, Duffy. I'm doing really well. Um, episode 12. We have a dozen. We have now have as many episodes as we have listeners, Dave. It's a big achievement for us. It was, it was a big, big achievement. Um, a big one deal. episode at a time, one listener at a time. Just chip away. Here we go. As the Navy SEALs say, how do you eat an elephant, Duffy? One bite at a time. I have never eaten an elephant, have you? I, I feel like that could get some, somebody in trouble. Probably not. Um, a very vegan thing to do. Well, that is for sure. Yes, that is for sure. But it's a fun time of year. We've uh, I coached a game yesterday. I know you've got games coming up. We're in the in the thick of it. So um, this is a this is a great time of year for let's, a basketball fan. Yeah, let's get on with it, Dave. So we are catching up with our correspondents uh, this episode. So we're going to cover three programs uh, to kick off this episode. We're going to start with the San Rafael High School boys. Uh, we had an awesome preview from assistant coach and friend of the podcast, Steve Tornello, and we're going to let him give us a little preview. Take it away, Steve. Here we go, Steve. This is Steve Tornello, assistant coach for the San Rafael Boys Varsity Hoops team, and here's what you can expect from us this season. The dogs come into this year having graduated only one senior from last year. Our first job this season, honestly, is to stay healthy. Last season, we played for an entire month with six players, and for one game, we only had five players. We went through it all. A fractured back, a pulled hip flexor, a couple of badly sprained ankles, COVID, the flu, mad cow disease. Okay, maybe we didn't get mad cow disease, but you understand. Whatever malady that could have happened, happened. It was a tough year that started great, hit the lowest of valleys. And then we closed strong with a semi-healthy team and a brand new playing style we whipped together in the middle of the season that really worked for us. For this year, it all starts with our defense. But to be honest, it always starts with our defense. We're going to pressure the ball, throw a bunch of different defensive looks at our opponents, and hit the boards as hard as possible. We want to make our opponents uncomfortable for the entire shot clock. That's our goal every time down. Offensively, we're preaching making space for our teammates, reading the defense, taking what it gives you, and once again, hitting the boards. We spend so much time of our practice teaching our kids how to move or not to move in order to create space and opportunities for their teammates. We're teaching them how to understand a chessboard in front of them. Let's make space for each other. Let's shine together. I guess they're just as much basketball lessons as they are life lessons. One opposing coach told us that when you play at San Rafael, it feels like a rock fight. Every possession matters. Every inch is hard fought. Every moment is a battle. We take that as a compliment. 26 rock fights this season? That sounds like fun. Go dogs. All right. 
Thanks, Coach. I love it. 26 rock fights. That's a great descriptor. Thank you for that, Steve. Um, I believe the Santa Fe boys had a win um, either last night or two nights ago. So they're off to a off to a good start, and uh, that was a that was a great preview. Thanks, Steve. All right. Yeah, more to come on on that squad, and we're going to move right along, and we're going to go to season preview from Mike Mahoney uh, of the Branson boys team. Now I will note that currently uh, in the race for the podcast proclaimed best shooter in Marin County, yeah. Mike Mahoney and Bobby Mitchell are tied. That's my take on it. Duff, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, Duff and I shot some hoops this morning at, a, at San Domenico with, uh, with Tom Poser, but we might need to at some point have a shooting competition, a run TMC sponsored shooting competition for who is the best shooter in Marin. Um, we could have you, Bob, Mahoney, others. We might just need to, to take it to the courts and do this. I think, I think so. I love that idea. Thank you. Shooting for the stars with that idea. Wow. I love it. Yeah. Great branding. Yeah. yeah so Mike, uh, appreciate you giving us some thoughts on Branson. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Branson, but Duff, why don't you share some of Mike Mahoney's thoughts that he emailed us? Yeah, so Mike uh, was at their foundation game against Petaluma, which was an easy win for Branson. Uh, and so he just sent a few notes uh, from, that, from that game. So this is a very Calipari-esque offense from this group, either getting to the rim or getting open threes. Not a lot of mid-range action in this game. And of course, Dave the Analytics would say that this is a good strategy, and I, it seems as Branson has the personnel to execute it. Mm -hmm. A uh, new coach, D Demetrius Rockmore, has his, the team playing a different brand than what longtime MCAL fans may be accustomed to seeing from a Branson team. Still very high IQ with good decision making, but they're pushing the pace looking to run. And defense is extending in half court and pressuring ball handlers. They also have a man press and a UCLA style diamond press that they play much of the game. They had ba balanced scoring likely four to five guys in double digits, strong showings from the starting five, Jace Butler, T.T. Carr, Joaquin Aguilon, Finn Keefe, D.J. Armstrong. T.T. shot it well from deep. Butler and Keefe had multiple dunks. Aguilon likely led in assists, and Armstrong did a little bit of everything. Off the bench, freshman N.J. Gray was a spark plug, one-man fast break, very fast with crafty finishes. That sounds like trouble for other teams. Uh, other bench contributors who played well, Ty Landers and Mizi Butler. Who's Jace's younger brother. So Mike concludes, going to be a tough team to beat in MCAL play with nearly all major <clears throat> contributors back from last year's team. And many have gotten bigger, stronger, faster, and better. Well, thank you, Mike. A little scary for the other MCAL teams. I will uh, readily admit that. Continuing on with the scary, uh, we're recording this stuff on Sunday November, what is it, 26th? Um, yesterday, Branson played Midi in a, in a tournament. Midi, very good team from San Jose. Have a couple um, college players already on that squad. And Branson beat them 65-58. And I saw a quick write-up. Uh, Jace, I believe, had 23. TT had 16. It was a very close game. But that's a great win for Branson against a very good team, much bigger school. Uh, Midi has a phenomenal girls program as well. It's oh, just a, perennially a good athletic school. So... Nice win for Branson. And then just to follow up a bit on what Mahoney wrote, um, 
West Coast Preps, which is a very good resource for um, information on, on high school sports in Northern California, did a really nice write-up on Branson. I will say, by the way, West Coast Preps also did a great write-up on Redwood. We're going to talk about Redwood and give Redwood some love, the boys' team uh, and the girls' team, uh, soon. But just when we're talking about Branson, they, they had a, a really nice write-up as they attended one of the practices. And, um, you know, the key kind of takeaways were... Um, they interviewed Demetrius Roquemore and, and he answered when asked where he sees his team in March, he, he responded open title game. So open is, you know, in the divisions, it goes divisions one through six, but then above division one is open. Those are the, the best teams in the state. So Branson really is one of the best teams in the state, um, regardless of size of school or division, um, and a legitimate shot at the state title in that area. Um, and then they just talked about the team has size, they've got skill, they play above the rim. Just going to be a really, really fun team to watch this year. Uh, but don't sleep on Redwood. Redwood's really good, very well coached. So this, the, those two teams, I think, are going to battle for the top two spots in the MCAL, as we've said all along, Duff. We have said that all along. I hope we're, um, I hope we're consistent with that, at least, Dave. That, that's right. Uh, I, for a question for Coach, though. Uh, why not aim a little bit higher? There's another tournament that occurs in March. Uh, they have this, you know, final four tradition. Just go straight to March Madness. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, actually, one of the things that West Coast Preps talked about in the article is that Branson practices at the College of Marin Gym and basically said you walk into that gym when Branson's practicing and you, you can't tell if it's a high school or a college team, yeah. which was pretty high praise. Yeah. So They're going to be fun to watch. Yep. Okay, on to Tara Linda, Duff. Tara Linda, yes. Yeah. So uh, our... Correspondent of the year, at least to date, Johnny Kearns yes, indeed. has sent us the, uh, the most content so far, and it's great content. And today, this is an interview that he recorded with Coach Baker a couple weeks ago, so before any games. So we're going to uh, run this now. We also have a, uh, another update from Johnny that we will run probably in the next one or two episodes. So take it away, uh, Correspondent Kearns with Coach Baker. All right, so we have uh, Coach James Baker here. It's your third season at the helm here at Terralinda, is. is that right? It is. Good. Kind of a tumultuous uh, first couple years, COVID and yeah. tragedy last year, but yeah. a brand new gym. Yeah, we had, I mean, it was, a, it was a really tough year the first year, and then the second year with the tragedy. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it ended well because we ended with 16 wins, and, uh, you know, considering that they had made NCS in 12 years. Yep, and, yep. Know, chase for or uh, MCAL, you know, we was right there until the end. We yep. had a playing game. So I think we, we did pretty well considering. Yeah, you know. yeah, great. Uh, yeah, I saw a lot of last year. I would agree. Um, the upcoming year, um, your thoughts kind of um, overview uh, two things. Um, first question is thoughts on, uh, you know you're going to get this question, the, the schedule going down to eight games with league opponents. Thoughts I'm on that? I'm not really a fan of it. I think traditionally we should kept it. You know, we play there, they play here, you know, home and away kind of thing. So I'm a real traditional guy. It's me too. <laughs> so I prefer that. Um, I just think it, it's exciting for the kids to go play, you know, in both ends. Home and home, yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I, I wasn't a big fan of it. Don't disagree. Um, also, what I'm hearing is probably Redwood and Branson are still – Top two and, and a lot of other teams fighting for the next two spots. Would, would you agree with that, or what's uh, your assessment? You never can tell. Mm -hmm. Depends on during the season, you know, with injuries yeah. or whatever. You get one or two injuries in Redwood or Branson, 
you know, then it's a game changer. So, yeah. you know, he's got some really tough teams in the league. You got, you know, Sam Rand still got a couple of, you know, we, we, we pretty tough. Um, and you got Tam, who's got some big boys now. So, mm-hmm. you know, you never can tell what's going to turn out. Yeah, yeah, new season, yeah. agreed. Um, as far as your, your squad, um, give me a kind of an overview of what you think of over, overarching your squad this year. I know uh, a lot of new faces. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think, you know, this group here is a lot more defensive sound. Um, you know, as far as, you know, so to say scores, I, I got a few, but I think we're more defensively sound. This team is a better defensive team than, than last year's team. Uh, was a lot smaller, but quicker, faster. Uh, they know the system now. That team had me for two years. This team, this group had me for three years. Yeah. So makes a huge difference. Yeah, that was my next question. I, I, I've been watching the last two years. This team's like this seems like the squad that fits your system the best. Correct. In your first three years, would you Correct. agree? Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. So defensively and offensively. Tell me what you what you guys without giving up your secrets. Kind of, I think I know, but tell me what you like to do defensively. Oh, uh, trap! You know, yeah. press trap. You know, I mean, we got quick guys. You know, we don't throw different looks at everybody. Yeah, depends on what it is. You know, with Branson, we gonna throw some looks at the bigs. We gonna make them be able to do more. You know, we gonna try to keep their guards and the shooters out of the way. You know, teams like that. You know, mm-hmm. if you got one guy like, you know, so to say, Novato got a couple of guys. You know. Um, we're going to make sure that they're tough. It's tough for them to score. So we're going to trap them, get the ball out of their hands, make somebody else beat us, if anything. With every team we play, we're going to make somebody else but their guy beat us. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And then offensively, what are you, what are you guys looking to do? Um, shoot the ball. I mean, we're we're, we're, we're shooting a team. We're not big, so we can't feed out. the post. Yeah, a lot of five out, a lot yeah. of quick, you know, moving the ball, taking a quick shots, getting back on defense. Defense is going to be our number one yeah. focus this year. That's great. We can score. We got guys that can score and put the ball in the hoop, but I think defensively as well. You want to push the tempo, Ron? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of guys the same size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I appreciate it, Coach. No I know you got to get to practice. Um, okay. And uh, that's our preview today with Coach James Baker for the Terralinda season upcoming. Thanks so much. Thank you. Good stuff. That sounds like the type of guy I would like to play for and I'd like my kid to play for. He does. uh, Coach Baker does a great job with that team. And they've they've got some real talent. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch the MCAL this year. Obviously, you got Branson Redwood, but I think San Marin, TL, San Rafael, Marin Catholic... Novato, are you going to name all the teams, Archie? Gabe? You're going to name all the teams. I'm just aren't you? bragging about my, but but I mean, really, every team has has talent, has guys who can score. Just the difference is size, right? So, I think Branson and Redwood are kind of unique in their size. Um, yes, but, but uh, great great size, thoughts from size Coach Baker does matter in the sport of basketball. It does. Yeah. It does. All right, Dave, we got a new segment this time. We're trying out a new segment. Okay. And this one was inspired because we recorded uh, a, an interview with Dan Dibley this past week. We'll run that in a couple weeks from now. And he, I will uh, admit readily, and he will probably admit, he doesn't really look like a hooper. And there's a story that goes along with that in the interview, which is a great story. We won't spoil it. Uh, but it inspired us to come up with a new segment for the podcast. And it's called, Hey, I didn't know that guy could hoop. I mean, you could put like Adam Sandler in that category. He's a hooper. Yes. George Clooney. 
Yeah, I don't know. There are a lot, but go ahead. Who do you have? I have uh, George Carlin, legendary <laughs> comedian. Uh, Dave, did you know he was actually a pretty good basketball player in high school? I did not know that. He's one of my favorite all-time comedians. I didn't know he could hoop. Yeah, so I, I found a book of his called Brain Droppings on my home library recently. And uh, so I just was kind of skimming through and I found the chapter on sports. And here's what he said about his high school uh, basketball career. So Carlin writes, I played basketball for three years and when I left, they retired my jersey, primarily for reasons of hygiene. <laughs> I wasn't a real standout at basketball, but I'm convinced that if I had been a, a lot taller, a lot faster and had really good aim, I would have been a better player. Just, just those few little things. <laughs> just a couple details, you know? <clears throat> it's all, it's around the margins. That's how we get better, Dave. George Carlin has so many legendary bits, but one of my favorites on the sports tip is he does a really funny comparison between football and baseball. I highly recommend our listeners Google it or YouTube it, whatever. But uh, some of the things I remember is he says, in football, you wear a helmet. In baseball, you wear a cap. <laughs> Football is concerned with downs. What down is it? Everything is down. In baseball, who's up? <laughs> and then, uh, what else did he say? Oh, yeah. Base, uh, football has the two-minute warning. Baseball has the seventh-inning stretch. Mm. And then the final one is football. You have your floor general, your quarterback, trying to lead your attack against a blitz and get into the end zone. Whereas in baseball, you just want to be safe at home. So, very funny bit. Carwin's great. Didn't know he could hoop. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, of course, we once again, you took us off of basketball, Dave, but you know, th we'll give you a, a pass on this one. Duffy, what would you do if it wasn't trying to refocus me? <laughs> I'd have time for like three other podcasts. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> uh, all right. Should we get into our introduction, Coach Gaffney? This was a great one. Get, tell us about Coach Gaffney. Well, yeah, one of the reasons we wanted to interview him early on in our set of interviews is... Uh, I spent some time, I know you've spent some time with his, him as well at San Domenico Day, but I got, I had an opportunity to help him out last fall. I was primarily just, you know, set, putting time on the clock for his practices, you know, you know, put the eight minutes on, put the 10 minutes on. He had everything so dialed in, so organized, uh, and, and attention to detail uh, with those practices. And I was just exceptionally impressed. And this was his first fall of coaching at San Domenico too, just came in. He was doing video sessions. He was having the kids do some meditation. Uh, and you know, just a really nice, thoughtful guy, great basketball player. So we, we thought he would be a very good interview. So we, um, we scheduled this one. I believe we recorded this maybe a month ago or so. Yeah, early October. Yeah. So yeah. we'll give an update on where San Domenico is in their season in the outro. But for now, uh, Dave, you give more of an intro in the interview. So yeah. we're going we're gonna to let it, let it roll. Listen to this one, guys. It's really good. Yeah, don't stop now. If you're about to put, press pause, don't do it. <laughs> Keep listening, please. Yes. All right. Tyler, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, We're thrilled to have you. So we have Tyler Gaffney with us. Uh, I will go through Tyler's very impressive background right now so our listeners um, can hear about you. But really, listeners... I recommend you YouTube this guy and just watch him play because the guy can light it up. So anyway, Tyler grew up in Marin, Mill Valley, right, Tyler? Yeah, Mill Valley, a little bit in Nevada, a little bit of San Selmo too, so all over Marin. All right. That's why you're so so tough and street. <laughs> That's right. Um, went to Branson, played at Branson, uh, 
played his junior, your junior and senior year, played varsity, yes. right, for Bobby Donlin, um, who did a great job when Jonas Honick took a few years away. Tyler then went to college at Claremont McKenna in Southern California, at Division Three school, where Duffy, uh, Tyler was a decent player, I'd say. Um, would you agree? Duffy's nodding. Tyler was an All-American his senior year. Um, let that sink in. And two-time Conference Player of the Year. So we're going to dive into his high school and, and college years as a player. He then played professionally in Spain for two years. As we've talked about with Tom Poser, that's no small feat to pull a paycheck playing basketball. Uh, he then went into coaching and uh, coached at the college level. So he coached at Wesleyan University in Connecticut for a couple of years. That's a Division three school, great, great school. Then came west and joined the coaching staff at Cal State East Bay, which is a Division two school. That's the old Cal State Hayward. Yeah, it right? used to be Cal State Hayward. Right. Um, coached there for a couple of years before coming over here to San Domenico to be uh, head coach of the boys' team. He is assistant athletic director and the director of basketball for San Domenico. So we're very happy to have Tyler. Um, I'll just say this anecdotally. Um, you know, I coached the girls' team here. Tyler coaches the boys' team. When our girls' team um, would practice after the boys' team last season, my wife was always asking, like, why are you leaving so early? Your practice isn't until 6.30. And I would say, I want to get there to watch Tyler coach. Um, and I'm not kidding because I love watching you coach. I love watching the way you handle practices. And we're going to spend a lot of time in this interview talking about practice planning and execution because, I, I, frankly, I don't have never seen anyone do it better than you. Um, and to make me feel better, he's like, you're like 30 years old, which is ridiculous. 31. So 31. I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm getting up there. Whatever. Um, all right, so Tyler, let's talk about you as a youth player growing up. Um, Mike Fulton mentioned he trained you when you were in you know seventh eighth grade, and that you were you were fun, you were a good player. You weren't all American. So talk about your progression as a as a youth player. How did you how did you get so good? Yeah. Well, before we get to that, I just want to say that when I go into practice and I go in 15, 20 minutes early to watch you and Mike coach. It's for a reason, because I get to be around you guys every day, and I learn a lot just from watching the way you guys handle things. So it goes both ways. Nice of you to say. But youth-wise, I was solid. I was good basketball player, but I wasn't great. Um, I played a lot of other sports, too. Baseball, track and field, soccer a little bit, tennis, but, you know, just recreationally. Uh, and then I never really committed full go to being a basketball player until I got to high school. And so I had a pretty normal childhood, and as normal as it can be in Marin, uh, where you have a lot of different sports to play, and every season was a different sport. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I got to play for my dad in CYO and middle school hoops, and that was a lot of fun for you guys who both know my dad. He's a great human being, great to play for. Uh, so Tyler, one, I'm just going to jump in. Yeah. One cool thing for our listeners. So t uh, Tyler's assistant coach for San Domenico is his dad, Pat, who's a great guy. So. That's got to be kind of cool. You grew up playing for your dad, and now your dad's sitting alongside you coaching with you. Yeah, it's great. I think it would be awkward for a lot of families, but my dad is such a good person, and it's never about him. It's always about the program, and yeah. he's always a very humble person, and he was a very loving father, and so uh, it's, it's very easy to have that sort of camaraderie. It's not like uh, he feels weird that I'm bossing him around on the court. It's, it's all about the team for him, and it, it never has been anything else, and so it's really fun. We also just love hanging around each other all the time. It's an excuse to see each other every day. Sure. Um, so now uh, I see him every day, six days a week at least during the winter season, and that's just a great excuse to hang out and have fun. And he will send me ideas at like 2 in the morning, 
he'll text me an idea and I said, like, Dad, you got you gotta go to sleep. Right. And he's so fired up about coaching that he's always sending me ideas and, and giving me suggestions and it's it's a dream come true for both of us. Well, now it's probably fine because you don't sleep because you have like a one year old, right? Or, right. Or less. Well, than three one. and a half months. Three and a half months. Three and a half go. months. So there's definitely not a lot of sleeping. Yeah. So when so Pat, send, send Tyler stuff in the middle of the night. He's yeah. definitely not sleeping. Grandpa Pat is really involved <laughs> in that area too. So I'm sure you would expect him to be. Awesome. So so you go to Branson. You played you played JV your first two years, right? So talk about were you a? I was actually freshman team my first year. Okay. Played for Buck Chavez. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. We got a Bucky reference again. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Uh, and then JV as my sophomore year. And then at the end of that sophomore year, got called up to varsity. Okay. Um, and were you, your sophomore year, um, where did you stack up on the JV team? Were you a scorer? Were you the best player? Were you? No? Yeah, I was, I, was, I was probably the best player on that JV team, but we also had other couple good players too. It wasn't like I was head and shoulders above everybody else, but... I had a really good opportunity that JV year, and I think I was kind of fringe varsity player that mm-hmm. sophomore year. Um, and it ended up being a real blessing that I was on JV because I got the ball in my hands. And, you know, I have to have this conversation with a lot of guys now, like, do you want to play JV or varsity? Um, and playing JV where you get the ball in your hands a lot and get to make decisions and have responsibility is really, really helpful when you get to the varsity level. Um, and I found, like, I, I definitely would have sat on the bench all year that sophomore year because that was the year of Oliver McNally's senior year and 08 Branson team that won the state championship. So there's no chance I'm sniffing the court. So it was a great experience for me to play JV. I got to have the ball in my hand, make a ton of mistakes, yep. decisions, and play through them. And then I got called up at the end of the year for the playoff run, and I got to have my eyes wide open watching those practices and games and the intensity with which those guys competed at the varsity level was a huge eye-opening experience. So I got a little bit of both. That's great. Which I think was really ideal for me. Yeah, for our listeners, Oliver McNally. So th- those those Branson teams that you're talking about, 08, one of the better teams in Marin County history. Yeah. And Oliver and his brother Xander, both fantastic players. Oliver played Division One at Harvard for Tommy Amaker, who's a Duke grad. Played with Jeremy Lin, who went on to fame. Lin Sanity kind of took the NBA by storm. That was, that was Oliver's backcourt mate at Harvard. Um, Oliver could play, still plays in he adult really leagues. Play. He was an intimidating guy to be two years younger than. Super competitive. Yeah, really, con- really competitive, confident, like a brash personality. And like those pickup games at Branson in the offseason were pretty legendary because not only was he competitive, Xander was competitive, and the other members of that senior class yeah. that Oliver was in, there was eight of them. The top eight scorers were all seniors that year. Yeah. And there was eight of them who were really big alpha male personalities and really competitive pickup games and just trying to hold your own on that. And during those games, it forms you a little bit as a player. Absolutely. And I, I, w- I want to acknowledge one other thing that you mentioned that's really, I think, useful for our listeners. You know, you said, so sophomore year, you played JV. You know, I had that same choice when I was at Branson many, many, many years before you, young man. Um, and in hindsight, you know, I chose to play varsity my sophomore year and I sat on the bench and I didn't see the court. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I could go back and do it again, I would have played JV gotten more touches, gotten more playing time, developed more confidence. Um, you know, it's not always, it, it, it's a case-by-case thing, but I just think this is another example, like, like Tom Poser before you, um, of pro basketball players. I mean, Tyler, this is an All-American that we're talking to who played JV a sophomore year, and that really benefited. And I think one of the, the reasons why kids don't want to be on the JV team is because of the perception of the JV team. Sure. It's like, oh, like you're a sophomore and you're on JV? 
Like they, people look at you a little bit weird when you walk through the halls. You want to say so, that you're on varsity. Yeah, of course. Even if, if your real goal was long-term development, a lot more people would choose the JV route when they're on the fringe. Yeah. And obviously, you want to play against great competition, but if you're not playing, take a step down and make, your, make sure you're in a situation where you get a lot more minutes. So were you playing AAU in high school as well? I was, yeah. It was not my primary concern, though. It was not. It was all Branson all the time, and then I played AAU a little bit in the okay. offseason. We had like a little local AAU team in middle school for a year or two, and then I, I don't think I even played AAU my freshman year, sophomore year. Uh, but then I played AAU again my junior year. Uh, we played on the uh, the Bay City uh, – what team was that? It merged into the Oakland Soldiers. Okay. I can't even remember what the team name was anymore. I wasn't that attached to it. It was good competition, um, but it was I was pretty much all high school basketball, and then I got to play AAU as a you know as a bonus. And uh, there goes the bell. We're at San Domenico. <laughs> no school today, but the bell still goes. The bell, the bell, bell still goes. Still tolls, but that's right. Not for us. That's right. I think the bell. The, the bell tolls saying, for the. I got to move on from this line of questioning, maybe. Um, so you played for Bobby Donlin. Yeah. Um, were your Branson teams good? Yeah, we were good. That first year, like I said before, uh, we lost the top eight scores right. from the sophomore year. So expectations were in the basement for us. So we didn't have a lot of expectations. Rebuilding year. Rebuilding year for sure. And we ended up um, winning MCAL that year and losing in the NorCal finals to go to the state championship. Oh, wow. Okay. That was a heartbreaking loss. I heard about uh, that. I don't want to go into that, yeah, to be yeah. honest. It still stings. Uh, yeah. But it, it was a great year. And... I, I think that was the first year where I really was curious about getting into coaching because Bob was such an amazing coach. He was an incredible coach, and he was a lot more um, like me than other coaches I'd played for. Yeah. Because, you know, Jonas Honick, Mike Fulton, these are all alpha male personalities. Like, they coached through the force of will, and I just wasn't like that. And I loved hoops, and I wanted to be involved in it for as long as possible, but, like, I don't fit the archetypal coaching technique I'm not an alpha male like I'm not going to like walk into a room and be the center of attention and so and Bob is a very confident guy but he's also a quieter guy yeah and he I remember he would do this thing where he would like whisper yell at you and it was like it was like it would like turn my blood ice cold and he wasn't yelling it was like a whisper yell and it was yeah. like when he was disappointed in you it was just I felt so much shame right. that I had disappointed him and let him down and I wanted to play so hard to make him happy and like to prove that we were good and to make sure that he had a good career as a coach. And it was like, man, he can do that and he can actually be a successful coach without having that, you know, really alpha male personality. It's like, oh, maybe I can do that too. Right. That's that's really interesting insight because watching you coach, and we'll get to your coaching, but you, you're a very calm, uh, you know, the word gentle comes to mind. But even though you're you're teaching and you care about these kids, and you want them to play hard, and I've seen you get frustrated, but you are very even keel, you're very calm, which, again, is a stark contrast to Mike Fulton, <laughs> to Jonas Honick, who I played for, to a lot of the coaches um, around. So that's interesting that... And that I don't Bob, think there's a right or wrong. Right. I don't know if there's right or wrong. It just has to be authentic to what your personality is. Sure. I sure. remember when I was, you know, in those pickup games with all, Oliver McNally and those seniors, I was like, oh, that's, that's what leadership must look like. So I tried to do that the next year. Yeah, I was like, oh, it did not go over well. That's not your. It was style. all phony for me, and so uh, it's like oh, I guess I can't really lead the way that they they led. Yeah, you still have to um, show frustration at times because the kids need to know you care. But I do think that you don't have to 
follow the script of Hollywood coaches. Absolutely. There's another way to do it. Absolutely. So let's talk about your recruiting process as a player. Um, did you get any looks from colleges? Uh, well, Bob Donlin played for Claremont, so okay. that's why I ended up at Claremont. I got recruited by one other school, Lewis and Clark. Yep. That was it. And Pomona. Claremont and Pomona are okay. two schools that are part of the same consortium. Yep. Five Claremont colleges, so that was it. No D1 looks, no D2 looks, no other D3 looks. That was okay. it. it was a pretty easy choice to go to Claremont or Pomona. They're both great schools, but... The business school at Claremont was really good, and I loved Coach Scali. I had a connection with him immediately on my campus visit. Um, Great. I was just super interested in, in basketball, and Scali could tell right away. And so he pulled me into this this room, and he just started drawing stuff on the whiteboard, explaining their whole offense in super detail, and I just yeah. was I was immediately You in. love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like playing college basketball for you? Was it um, you come right in as a freshman and – you can compete. Was it a, oh, crap, these guys are much better than I am? Like, what, what would that feel like? I felt much more confident going into college than I did going into high school. Uh, I started my freshman year, hmm. and my sophomore year I was an all-league player, so I felt pretty confident going right in. I think I had sort of hit my growth spurt my senior year of high school and into my freshman year of college, and so I grew a lot more, and I was just physically more mature. I still looked like I was 12 years old, but at least I was a little bit taller and stronger, right? So... Uh, I got the baggy shorts, right, Duff? I mean, the, 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 the long baggy shorts. You can't, you can't show the knee. Again, you listeners, show the knee. That's listeners just, please happen. YouTube Tyler Gaffney, G-A-F-F-A-N-E-Y, Claremont, and look at, check out the trunks, the, yeah, I the, mean, the long shorts. It was embarrassing if you showed your knee. You can't have that. This is the, the era of the and one mixtape. Totally. The, the baggier, the better. Totally. Um, so D3 hoops, fun? Yeah, it was great. I think it was a really good experience for anyone regardless of how competitive you are there's a perception that d3 hoops is just for it's basically like intramural basketball and the coaches and the players aren't that competitive our teams were really competitive all the teams we placed were really good Uh, the only thing is size and athleticism and speed just a notch down but the commitment um, is great and you get to be a normal human being uh, which is really nice i walked around campus and i even when I was my junior, senior year, and I was the best player on our team, mm-hmm. I was just walking around like a normal guy. Yeah. So I got to have a really normal college experience at a great school. I made a lot of lifelong friends. and it was, Basketball was my main focus when I was at school because I loved it so much, but there were also a lot of great things that I did outside of basketball, and I wouldn't have done at other places. So it's interesting you say about size, athleticism, and speed because we just interviewed Tim Lacoste, who's the Dominican women's coach who's a great guy um by the time this airs our that episode will have already aired but i asked him the same question because he's coached women's college basketball for 30 years d3 d2 d1 and i asked him that exact question like what's the difference between a d3 d2 d1 player and he said basically size speed athleticism yeah Um, if we played a d1 school we'd probably still lose but you wouldn't see a difference in skill right you i mean i've seen you shoot the ball i don't know how anyone could shoot it better than you do Right, so I mean, you can you can skill wise, you're a Division One level player, right. but it's just some guys are bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah, yeah, and D three basketball has gotten even better since I left. I graduated in 2014, and 2015 was my last year because I took a red shirt. And in the you know 10 years since that's happened, there's way better players out there now. It's gotten even better, Division three, and I don't know the Division One world well enough to know if it's the same, but yeah, like there's a there's a really big pool of really skilled 
and competitive college athletes out there. And I watch these D3 guys who are, you know, maybe just average starters on their team. And I'm watching them work out. I'm like, this guy is only a D3 player. Like, they, they've gotten even better since I left. Well, look like, at Duncan it's, Robinson. It's big time. Right? Yeah. I mean, Duncan Robinson for the Miami Heat, right? I mean, gets meaningful minutes for the Heat. He started at Williams. Yeah. That's, a, that's D3, right? Yeah. Plus, you have the transfer portal and, yeah. and the COVID year. And so there's less space available the last couple of years for D1 athletes. So it just trickles down. All those D1 athletes go D2 and those D2 athletes go D3 and NAIA. So there's been a trickle down of talent, which has made that level even better too. Yeah. So real quick, Spain, pro hoops, talk fun, good time. It was a basketball dream come true because I never thought that was a possibility. It was really challenging because your whole life is there and you leave everyone you know behind. Right. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was now my wife, was in medical school and that's really challenging. Yeah. Uh, and it's definitely lonely at times. I think that's the biggest issue that a lot of people run into. Um, but basketball wise, it was, it was so much fun. Um, how'd you, how did you stack up competitive wise with the pro guys over there? I was good. I was in Leb Silver, which is the third league in Spain and I was a starter there and um, I had good two years there. Um, I think... I, it was very clear that when I was in college, I was a bigger guard. And then when I went there, it was hard to get to the rim. It was harder to get to the rim, okay. and it was hard to finish at the basket. Uh, it was just another le- leap up in size and athleticism. Yeah. So I became more of like a J.J. Redick type, running off pin downs and shooting. Catch and shoot. Catch and shoot threes. And I would make plays off the bounce, but it's you know straight line drives and attacking off closeouts rather than using ball screens myself or right. being the guy who handles the ball at the end of the shot clock and trying to make a play. So it was definitely an adjustment there, but it was a fun challenge. And Tyler, just for our listeners, how, how tall are you? 6'3". Okay. So 6'3", coming off pin downs, catch and shoot, money from three. Well, I like to think that I was a great defender too. Yes. That was I'd be playing for... The, in the Branson system, in yep. the Claremont system, if you're not defending, you're not taking care of the ball, you're not playing. And so it took me a while actually to become an offensive threat because I was so focused on those things. Yeah. And also just I was worried about I don't want to take any bad shots. Just honestly, I was worried about fitting in on the teams I played in when I was younger. And so I never took bad shots. Right. And I just wanted to guard and take care of the ball because that's what the coaches told me to do. Yep. I was very gullible. Good thing I had good coaches that tell me the right things to That's do. That's right. That's right. Eventually, someone told you to shoot the ball. Right. Yeah. It was actually it was Bob Donlin. It was a practice in high school. He said, uh, he, said he, I think I passed up an open shot. And then he blew the whistle and he said, okay, everyone come in. And he brought everyone in. And he went around the circle and he said, do you want Tyler shooting that shot? Do you want Tyler <laughs> shooting that shot? And he went all the way around. Yeah. And he made sure that I knew that all my teammates wanted me to shoot open ones. Hanuk did the same thing with me, only it was the opposite. Was like, <laughs> do we really want Levine shooting that shot? Just kidding, Jonas, not really. Um, all right, let's talk about you as a coach because I, I'm not kidding. Um, I just, I've seen a lot of coaches in my day. Uh, you're one of the best I've ever seen. Um, just preparing for practice. So, so you have detailed practice plans, right, to the minute. Um, there, there it is. There's one. I'm, I'm looking at it. It's beautiful. It's like, it's like a Van Gogh. I'll get a picture of that. Get a picture sure. Of that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a picture. We'll put it on the website. Um, so talk about how do you go about practice planning? Like, do you, right now, are you planning out practices for mid-November or do you do, go day by day and plan out practices? I go day by day. I wish I was organized enough to plan 
like yeah. weeks out and have you know macro seasons you know we're putting in this I want to have this installed by this time yeah I'm not there yet maybe as I get more experienced as a coach I'll have a better sense of what I can get in at that time and what I need to do but for now it's day by day um, I find that the more I prepare I just as often abandon the practice plan but the more prepared I am I, I know where I'm going at least and so I have other options and I try and get all my thinking done before practice so that I don't have to think as much during practice because uh, you know when you watch a practice there's a hundred different corrections you can make and totally. it, it can be just a frenzy of we need to do this better than this than this and I, I find that if I don't spend the time to make that detailed practice plan I don't feel like I've accomplished much at the end I'm just playing whack-a-mole with errors that I see rather than being specific and targeting the things that are most useful in getting us to where we need to be as a team. And there's usually a couple things that are our higher priorities. Right. Um, and I try and focus 80% of my corrections on those. So in your, in your experience, um, you know, I, I, I struggle with this as a coach where I, I, our listeners won't be surprised. I like to talk, Tyler. I, I fill the space with words. So it's a problem. It's a problem. It's a big problem. <laughs> well, it's Duff- great for a podcast. Well, unless you're Duffy, then you pull your hair out. But, um, you know, so if I'm teaching a shell drill, for example, and the kids aren't getting it or we're, we're struggling with the concept of how we're defending a pin down screen or something, yeah. I will stop practice and I'll talk them through it. There are some coaches who do a great job of teaching, but still keeping the kids moving and playing, kind of teaching as you go. What's your strategy on that front? Like if, if the kids aren't getting a concept that's really important, like I've seen you, you know, you guys were working on your, your press break last year, I remember, and they just weren't getting it. And yeah. you, you kept having them do it, but you were teaching, but the kids were still moving and you didn't halt practice. Like talk about that. Yeah. Well, I think one of the key things that I think about always is time on task and their attention span, especially coming out of San Domenico, eight hours of school. They're just mentally like a little bit fried and they've been lectured at all day. And so I just try and minimize that as much as possible because I know it doesn't reach them as well. Right. Um, I think when I figure out they've learned something is when they do it without me priming them. So so oftentimes I'll have segments in practice where I'm trying to covertly analyze whether they've actually, they actually know something because oftentimes as coaches will go in and we'll say, Hey, we need to be a better box out team. So this drill, let's make sure we really hit and box out and go rebound. And then that drill, they go hit and rebound and box out. And then we go 20 minutes later, we go play live five on five and no one's boxing out. And so it's like, I guess they don't know it yet. Right. And so they need more reps where it's not the focus and we don't prime them for the right answer. And then I say, hey, look, we didn't box out. And I point out to them that we didn't do the thing that we need to do, even though we did it before when it was primed. We're not ready yet. Right. Um, I don't know. I was... As a player, too, I always just hated standing around also. <laughs> so I would always get cold, and you know, when coaches would you know, go on long lectures, and I don't think that helped me as much as a player. So sometimes your own player experiences can help you out as coaches. Sometimes they hurt. Sure. But I felt like uh, the more I can get them time on task with specific corrections in mind um, and then analyze with a covert review whether they've actually internalized those corrections, then I, could, then I can move on. Yeah. What's your mix of, so in early season practices, where you're kind of setting the tone, or you have some new players potentially, right? Yeah. Uh, defense versus offense. 
Uh, earlier on for me, and I think I'm still influenced by the Branson Claremont style, which is heavy defense, defense first. Yeah. It, is, it just becomes defense and taking care of the ball for a while. We were not a good ball security team last year, so I need to focus on that more this year. But I think defense can win you a lot of games when you have bad offensive nights, but defense should never take a night off. You're going to have an off night shooting-wise, but defense can always win you a lot of games, keep you in them at least. Uh, so we do a lot of defensive basic stuff earlier on in the year. Yeah. And I try and minimize the amount of time where we do stuff on air without any live defenders in the case of offense or live offensive players. So on air, you mean like 5-on-0, 4-on-0, 3-on-0, right? So right. you want to have competitive drills. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about small-sided games with Tim Lacos. Mm-hmm. Um, I love those. You, you use those beautifully. So, you know, 3-on-3 three three where... I've seen you do that drill or three on three, four on four, where the offense has an advantage. So maybe the offensive player with the ball starts the defenders on his back and you go from there. So quick decision making with a quick advantage that will soon not be there. Right. right? And that way we can coach offense and defense at the same time, too. We'll often work on our defensive rotations that way. So we start with like a shoulder to chest, which is like what you call like, a, like yeah. an offensive player at the three point line. The defensive player with their shoulder on their chest also behind the three-point line so simulating like he just got beat off the dribble and then we work on a baseline drive out of that and then we play live so we work on the baseline rotation you know we call it bounce and then drop and then we can skip out and then you play live from there so they get some reps working on the shell concepts yep. and then they get to play live and you know do the messy part of the game which is you know actually 70 percent of the game is all the the situations you never actually practice for yeah, I love that bounce and drop, and then you have an advantage, you know, no matter where the ball goes. Yeah. That's a great drill. Yeah. it's. I think they also appreciate it as players because it's much more fun to do stuff live and it's competitive for them. And so they, they get, they just are more engaged in practice often. I find that when I do more on air stuff, I, that's when I start to see the attention wander. And so I just realize I'm, I've lost them. And then I got to go, so I got to go somewhere that's competitive. Well, yeah, I mean, you see, play, you see this all the time, right? You see players who are great in the layup line or, or three on O, they look awesome. And then you put a yeah. defender on them and they're lost, yeah. right? So the more you drill that live competitive um, thing, it's better. So um, Duff wanted to ask about, this is a great question. So the, the Coach's Guide to Teaching, a book by Doug Limov. Um, I know that's a book that you like. What, what are some of the lessons you've learned from that book that you've applied in your practices? It's a... It's a book that emphasizes kind of intra-practice techniques that can reinforce learning. Yeah. This was my favorite coaching book that I've ever read. I highly recommend it to anyone. Um, One of the things that I took away was actually how to give feedback and how to do it in a timely manner and an effective way. Hmm. Um, Feedback has to be done quickly right after the mistake is made so that they know what you're exactly talking about. And so he has this system where um, he'll freeze it, he'll rewind it, and then you play from that situation after giving the feedback. And so I use that a lot in my practices where they so hit, say, for example, we're talking about a baseline drive. You missed a baseline drive rotation. Yeah. So I'll blow the whistle. I'll say freeze and rewind. And then we'll rewind it right back to where the situation happened. I'll coach the exact guy who made the mistake through it in front of everybody. I can usually get that done in 15, 20 seconds. Yep. And they'll say, okay, we'll play from here. And they, then, they, then they do it the right way. So they get a rep really quickly 30 seconds after making the mistake of doing it the right way and hopefully that will teach them and hopefully other people will have listened to that as well and not just the person who made the mistake. That's great. But that's that's one that from Doug Lamov that I really liked. The other is just a culture of error is what he calls it. 
So a culture where it's easy to make mistakes and you learn from the mistakes and mistakes and errors aren't um, frowned upon. Um, mistakes of effort and mistakes of lack of focus, those, those have to be, you have to come hard, down hard on those as coaches, but mistakes of error when you're learning a new concept are not to be avoided because mistakes are required in the learning process. And we're always talking about getting outside your comfort zone and we tell them to do that and then we get mad at them for making a mistake because they're going to make them outside their comfort zone right. and then it, then they're hearing mixed messages and they start to tune you out a little bit. So having them um, feel like it's okay to make a mistake and learn from it and move on is great. So like anytime a guy makes a mistake, it's just it's par for the course. I try not to get overly emotional about it unless it's a mistake of focus or a mistake of effort. Right. And then it's like, hey, then uh, I'll get mad at you for that. Yeah. But if it's just a technical mistake or uh, you didn't know the right answer, uh, I, I'm not going to get mad at these guys for that because I want them to feel like it's um, just part of the the growth process. Right. And I hope that I hope that they feel that way. I think sometimes they don't. But I hope that they feel like it's just it's just what they need to do to get better. Sure. And as a team, we're always growing, and as individuals, they're always growing. So it's just it's just part of the process. That's great. We we talked about that with KK. Um, you know, Sue Phillips, the great MIDI coach. She's I, I love her stuff. You guys can listen to the KK episode about mistakes. But I mean the the, the TLDR episode three, episode episode three. three. But the TLDR is if a kid makes a mistake, it's a good decision, but just didn't execute it. That's great, mm-hmm. right? And it, it, the mistakes of effort, as you said, focused. We don't want those, but we like those good mistakes, right? Yeah. That's we learn from those, and, and those are should be applauded yeah. uh, and not frowned upon. So. And hopefully, our teammates, like if their teammates get mad at them for making the mistake too, it's just as bad as the coaches. Right. So we try and tell the guys too, it's like, hey, like they made this mistake. They probably didn't look you off because they don't want to pass you the ball. They probably looked you off because they didn't see you. Right. So you have to assume good intent at the beginning. Assume that your teammates are trying to do the right thing, just didn't know how. So is it really helpful for you to get mad at this guy for missing you when you're open? Probably not. Say, hey, I was open next time. See me next time. High five. We move on. We get out right. of there. Rather than, you know, hey, well, come on, man. you got to see me. Yeah. And it's just as bad as the coach getting mad at them. Sure. So sure. you got to teach the players how to handle each other's mistakes as well. So, uh, Tyler, talk about use of film in practice. You're a, you're a young man. You're tech savvy. <laughs> Tech forward, you got Huddle up there. Shout out to Huddle. Um, they could be a sponsor. They they, they, I'd say absolutely. Yeah, that's an idea. We're available. I have a friend actually there. Um, so you you record your your practices. Um, you watch film with your team. You know Duff here was your sat in on some of your practices last year and saw some film sessions. So talk about using film and as a tool for you. I love it. I think it, I want to do more of it and. I do it a lot already. Uh, so I think, yeah, we film almost everything, almost all the practices, all the games for sure. Um, I find that often guys don't know the mistakes they're making. Hmm. And even when I tell it to them verbally, they still don't really get it until they see themselves making the mistake on film. And then it's like, oh, the light, the light clicks, right? The, flip, the switch flips, whatever yeah, it is. Right. And I think they, they really learn from seeing themselves make those mistakes and... I really use it to hype up really positive things I see in practice too, really good cultural moments. So like when, for example, we had our post player, you know, last year, I remember this one possession, he sealed so hard on the post that he knocked his defender over and then his teammate drove to the rim and there was no help and he scored. 
It was like, no one's going to see that yeah. ever unless I show that to them on film, hmm. especially for big guys who get very little credit anyways and they don't touch the ball as much. It helps them to feel like they're valuable and part of the team. Yeah. So when, when we do film, it's always with a certain topic in mind. It's never three, four, five topics, and I always try and keep it to 10, 15 minutes okay. uh, max, usually five to 10. Too much content. It'll... Too much, and again, they, yeah. they zone out. Yep. So like, again, it's about just trying to take the fluff out in practice. Question with regards to film, if you're looking at an individual player making a mistake or you know, having an error of some sort, and it's on huddle, do you share that individually with the player, or do you tend to do it in front of the whole team? What would you, you know? What circumstance would you share it individually versus in front of the whole team? It's a good question. Um, depends on the player's makeup. Some players can handle being called out in front of the team, and some can't. And I really try and make an effort to get everyone comfortable making mistakes in front of the team. But with things like shot selection, which can be tricky at times, I might have one of my better players who took some bad shots. I might show him that aside, right? Because I don't want you know the rest of the guys thinking, hey. He's taking all these bad shots. Right, right. It's, it's only this guy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it depends on the makeup of the person. Um, but I try and show most things to the group. But then you're also limited by time, so I can't show every individual mistake. So I often do some individual film, um, either before or after practice, just on my laptop, walking around, show a couple of clips to each guy here and there. And then the team film, I'll usually show an individual error if it pertains to the rest of the team as well. I'll usually say, hey, I'm showing this because X made this mistake, but all of you guys also made this mistake. And so it's not just him making the mistake in film. I'm showing it to everybody for a reason right. to remind them. I think a lot, often with guys, they, they see their teammate making a mistake and they think, oh, well, that's not, that's not me. That's the other guy. I never made that mistake. And so um, reminding them that, hey, I'm showing it to everyone for a reason. I'll show it to you individually if it's just you who made that mistake. Not a, every time you'll see, you'll, you'll bring film to an individual guy and it's just because he's the only guy traveling, right? Or he's the only guy uh, throwing this pass that we don't want. And so then it's, there's no, there's a waste of time to show it to everybody else. Sure. Sure. Um, so last year, your, your guy's best player um, came into the season. He was injured early. He was a bit, um, you know, he wasn't always locked in. And then by the end of the year, he was, your hands down your leader, your best player, got a opportunity to play in college. There you go, Gettysburg College. Great, great kid, great player. How did you support him in that journey? Because um, I saw it every day. Um, like I thought that was a great job of coaching by you to kind of bring him along and get him to buy in. So talk about that. Well, I think it was more about his individual journey than my influence as a coach, and I love to take credit for all of his success but he uh he did a lot of this on his own i think he became a better citizen on campus he yeah. was living in the dorms and he became a prefect in the dorms like it wasn't just he bought into the basketball stuff it was he started to figure out what it takes to be a man and he started doing all aspects of his life and that and so spilled that over just, into basketball yeah it spilled over into basketball yeah. and i think <laughs> he's a really competitive guy and so i think he felt like that first year with me as the new coach, like there was a lot of structure and there was a lot of potential. And I think that really encouraged him. And he felt like this team could go somewhere and he felt like it wasn't, um, you know, 10 individual guys with different agendas. And so once that happened, it really flipped a light switch in his brain where it's about us and not me. And 
it's so easy to be about me in today's world. It sure. was it was about him, and and then it, it switched, and he was all about the team. I remember I've told this story before at one of the various award ceremonies that I've had to speak about him <laughs> at. There's been a lot of them, and there was a I, my office used to be in the gym, and I could lean my head out the window and I could see who was in the gym. This was after practice. I thought everyone had left. There's a ball bouncing and I leaned my head out the window and there's it's only Gigi in there. And he's just in his socks. I go, that's weird. And then I leaned a little farther and it's one of our other guys who had been injured most of the year who was not playing at that time. Hmm. And Gigi was rebounding for him in his socks. And I watched for a few minutes and he was teaching him how to, you know, pivot into a shot, like get your shoulder squared up to the rim. Because hmm. Gigi's a great shooter. Um, really knockdown shooter. And he was teaching this guy how to get his feet lined up and his, yeah. his technique was really on point and he was just very committed and it was just a very indicative of the the personal journey that he went through being a leader yeah being a leader and he yeah. was just a really really good person you know when we did our surveys at the end of the year he was the guy that everyone mentioned as the most important leader on the team that's awesome. along with one other guy too ozzy shank very cool. those yep. two guys were just tremendous leaders and yeah, I think it mostly aligned with all the other stuff he did outside of basketball, too. Great kids. Shout out to Gitas. He's at Gettysburg College. Kicking butt, I'm sure. Um, okay, last thing on coaching, and then we'll move on. So meditation before or after practice, what, what's your? do you use that? I do, yeah. Uh, we try and do it before practice. I, there's always so, much, so many things I want to do. Again, like film, I want to do more of it. Right. Um, but we do it because... In the heat of the moment, one of the, the two core mental values I want us to have, I want us to be resilient, and I want us to be present. Like I want us to be able to handle tough situations together, and I want us to be present in the moment. And there's no better way to try and be present than to just sit and meditate for five minutes. Yeah. And it's a challenge, um, but I try and get the guys to understand that this is not just some weird ooey-wooey thing that I'm doing off to the side to make me feel better, but this is actually going to um, transfer to your performance in the game. And I'll show them clips of, to try and make it more accessible, I show them clips of Kobe Bryant talking about how he's focused and how he's all in the present moment, and they start to buy in when they see other big-time names do the same thing. Sure. But yeah. I think it's super valuable, and it's hard to see its value, unlike when you teach a press break and they do the press break and you can see the implementation of it as a coach, you don't really see it. And so it's, it's hard to stick with it cause you don't see the value that it has, but right. I think it's, it's incomparable what it does for our team. And I want to spend more time doing it cause I think there's real, there's high tension moments, um, that can only be met when you're really locked in, in the present moment. Um, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I, I think that's fantastic. Um, so you've coached at the college level, and I know we have a number of high schoolers who are listening to this and some players who are wanting to play in college, maybe not D1, maybe they want to try D2 or D3. Um, what advice would you give high schoolers who want to play at the next level? Well, coming from a guy who played D3 and coached D3 and D2, uh, ignore the D1 or bust myth. It's just nonsense. Okay. Like, don't, don't be a guy who says, I'm going D1. Or, or else. If, if that's really your goal, um, I, I question whether you actually want to play basketball or you just want to be seen as a Division One basketball player. Right. Now, if you want a scholarship because you need financial help, that's something different. But if you're just a D1 or bust guy 
because you get to post how humbly appreciative you are of uh, on social media of your offers, right? Then I question whether you actually want the basketball part or just the recognition. So just first of all, be about getting better every day, and not about getting recognition. Um, there's plenty of time for exposure. There's more exposure than there's ever been in the history of basketball right now. Yeah, exposure is not the problem for most athletes. Occasionally it is, but for most it's not. Just work on getting better, and the exposure part will come. I think a lot of people want the exposure now. Uh, just focus on getting better every day, every day, every day, and then months later you'll realize how much better you've gotten and the change that you've made in yourself, and then the exposure will come naturally. But just don't don't worry about the exposure. I've I've been to a lot of camps on the the coaching end, and you can and you can just tell the kids who are who are real grinders, and you can tell the, the kids who are in it for the exposure. What jumps out at you when you're evaluating players? And I, I'm, I'm really interested in, so when you're at, you know, Wesleyan or at Cal State East Bay, and you're look, you go to an AAU game and, or tournament and there's hundreds of kids in this gym playing, what, aside from the, okay, he can shoot it, he can jump, um, what else jumps out at you when you're evaluating players that makes you think, wow, I want that kid on my team? Well, it's usually, and I've read this in a book from Anson Dorrance, who's mm-hmm. the University of North Carolina women's soccer coach. Great who's coach. won, yeah. I mean, dozens of national championships. I don't actually know the number. It's ungodly amount. He said some not nice things about Stanford joining the ACC, but I'm going to forgive him for that. <laughs> Did he really? But go okay. ahead. That's fine. Well, you can't deny that he can coach. Yes. And, uh, yes. and I was reading one of his books, and he mentioned that when he was um, looking at players, there's usually just one moment that sticks with him. There's one moment where... In soccer, they lose possession of the ball and they fight to get it back. And I don't know the terminology in soccer. Yeah. But in basketball, there's usually like one moment that'll catch your eye as a coach and then make you watch that player again and again and again. And so sometimes you'll just have your eye caught. And for I try not to let that be the breakaway dunk because those are eye-catching moments, but those aren't the ones that translate as much. Um, but the ones like there's usually just some sort of like a next level pass like who's they see one play ahead yeah. or like a really loud calling of a ball screen on your right there's usually just like one small play and it like indicates a lot about them and usually I follow my gut and would say hey like that's that's a guy I should watch more and I end up watching that guy for the rest of the game and mm-hmm. so you never know when a coach is looking and usually just takes one um unique moment where you're really bought in and uh honestly just just being loud is really helpful i know this is going to sound silly but just saying things in a loud voice coming from a guy who's not very loud spoken it's not great advice maybe for me but uh but if on you the say court, things in a, yeah on the court you were loud right? yeah and you have to be at times yeah you have to play outside your nature a little bit sure but just like being really loud will get your at the attention of coaches right away and don't do it in a phony way but like in a way, like, hey, I'm communicating screens. I'm letting my teammates know where I am. Yeah. I am saying I'm gonna, I'm gonna back cut here, right? Bring, bring team, bring your teammates together. I mean, in AAU, there's often so much individual play and guys switching teams three, four times in a summer. Sure. Um, you notice the guys who will rally their teammates together, just bring a huddle in. There's like, there's no huddles in AAU. Right. Like if you just bring guys into a huddle, and you become the leader. That's that stuff will stick out to you. Yeah. There's also like 
a requisite level of skill and athleticism that's also needed. I know sometimes in the coaching world we can go overboard and saying it's the intangible stuff. You also need a requisite level of skill and athleticism to play in college. And so the intangible stuff is really nice and you also have to be really skilled and athletic. Right. And so it's important. To in college that's both. kind of table stakes, right? To, yeah, it's like exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I liked I like the story that you you said once about um, I think it was when you were coaching in college and you gave a kid at the, who you were coaching a book that you liked. Um, it's good. Tell, tell that, that story. About yeah. It. Yeah. So, uh, when I was an assistant coach at Cal State East Bay, um, we had a player who was really, really hard on himself and he'd get really frustrated and he would miss a shot or make a mistake or throw the ball away and it would spiral and he would really, you know, you could be this player if you're in this emotional state all the time, but you let yourself be dragged down by one error. And so this is like a thing that had been going on all year. And I had a two minute conversation with him one day after practice. I think it was after a game. I actually don't remember. I said, Hey, listen, like, I think you can be this player, but you're letting yourself, not your circumstances dictate your, hmm. your emotional state. And I handed him a book I had, um, it was the inner game of tennis by Timothy Galway. Galway? Yeah, Galway. Galway. And um, great book. Yeah, it, was, it was helped me a lot as a player. Yeah, that's why I knew it was valuable. I said, "Give this a read. I'm not going to test you on it or anything, but keep it around if you have some downtime. Read it." He never came back and talked to me about it. No idea if, if it really settled in. Maybe a month or two later, and we're leaving a hotel after a road game. And we're packing up some van, some bags into the van, and one of the, his other teammates uh, puts his bag to go into the van, and the book falls out, the same one that I handed him. I could tell because it was all beat up. And uh, I said, where'd you get that book? I said, oh, I got this from this other teammate. Well, that wasn't the teammate that I originally gave it to. So it made at least three different stops along the way. And so I just took that as to mean, like, you never know what your impact as a coach is. Yeah really, really small moments can really uh, impact the entire team or the entire course of a season. And so... I love that story. Yeah, uh, I think it's great. One. And a, a, a <coughs> recommendation to our listeners, uh, The Inner Game of Tennis is a, is a great read yeah. uh, for, for any sport, not just tennis. Yeah. So, and one of, so I, I coached for Coach Rooney that year. Yeah. Uh, he's just an unbelievable coach and one of the best human beings I've ever met. And I learned so much from him, but one of the things I met, I learned from him was that practice isn't, isn't over when the buzzer goes off and uh, everyone starts to you know pack up and leave the gym. He was a master of the one-on-one -on -one conversation where he would pull a guy aside after practice and he talked about this or that or his, his, his home life or his schoolwork. Yeah. And he was always doing that after practice, before practice. And it was not just like, okay, we're going to practice for two hours and then we're done. He was a master of the one-on-one -on -one conversation and getting to know his players, and I felt like that was a big impact on me. Well, one of my absolute heroes, mentors, is Steve Lavin, um, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast, a Marin legend who's now the, the head coach at University of San Diego, and I was down in San Diego with my family over the summer, and I hadn't talked to Lav in years. I texted him. He wrote me right back. He said, come to practice, and I went to practice with my wife, and it was awesome. And then after practice, you know, Lav wanted to, me to hang out. We could catch up. And there were about four of his players um, lined up. And he spent about five or ten minutes with each player. And he's talking about 
all right, how's summer school going? How's your family? He sees these kids every day, but he's, he's taking the time and taking an interest in them as human beings. And then he got around to me and we had a great time together. And yeah. it's just like, that's, that's the kind of guy he is. So yeah, I know Rooney, Rooney's the same way. And yeah. so was coach Riley, the coach at Wesleyan I played for both guys who just built super strong cultures by caring about their kids. All right, cool. So let's, um, I wanted to take a minute to hit on your conference, your league, because we've talked a lot on this podcast about the MCAL, right? The MCAL's great. But there's another really good league. It includes our friends here at San Domenico. Um, We've got University, who's always good. I spoke disparagingly of University's gym. That was uncalled for. And University's an incredible school with incredible basketball teams. I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about University in a future episode or maybe I did it in a past episode it's but it's an unlucky gym let's just admit it's just a, it's it's, we just can't seem to win in that gym it's just very small but um so why don't you talk about the the Bay County's League West where San Domenico competes and talk about this upcoming season now Tyler I will say when we drop this interview this episode might be the season already started we might be in like November December but that's fine we, so it, we're already 8-0 and is what you're saying pretty much okay, you're, you're already ranked great. nationally but uh, go ahead great. give us your UCL um, West preview well before I got this job, I didn't know much about the league, and I was super impressed when I got here. There is incredible coaching. Every team has a great coach, yeah, and it's really, really competitive. There's good teams all the way up and down. And so, I mean, you've got universities going to be the favorite again this year, um, but you've got teams like Urban and Stuart Hall and Lick, and like those coaches there have been there a long time, and they know what they're doing. Yeah, Urban, so, Joe Skiffer, unbelievable coach, played D1 at... Boise State, I think. Uh, great. It wasn't Claremont. Great player. Great. Does a great job with them. Stuart Hall won. They went to state or won state? They won state years? championship two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Lick, Elliot Smith has been there forever. He's a fantastic human, a great coach. I mean, and University of Randy Besselow, multiple NorCal titles, gone to state. They're always good. Just, just really deep coaching and talent pool in this league. Yeah, I remember just being thrown into that last year and then looking up their resumes and being like, oh my gosh, I have to coach against these guys. Yeah. And not only the coach is good, the talent level is good too. Just because they're small schools, I think often it's like, oh, they must not be very talented, but they can be cute and have some skills. But <laughs> talent level is good. Yeah. Um, Joey Kennedy, the university big man, is going to Claremont. Nice. He's there right now. That's so right. Go Stags. Um, and I think this really, really good competition all the way through the league. So excited for it. It's going to be awesome. Marin Academy has a new coach, right? Ula Dean. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be, MA is going to be tough. So San Domenico yeah. talks about your team. I'm really excited for what we have coming back. We lose three big pieces, which, you know, great leaders for us, good contributors on the court, Ozzy and Matas and Gitas, and uh, we'll miss those guys. But we've got a good young core coming back. Uh, I think they've had a year with me here, so they know what we're trying to build and what we're all about. And so we're just at a better place now at this time of the year than we were last year. Um, I just love our group of kids. They're really bought in. Yeah. They're really competitive and they care a lot. And they're really good human beings. They're just good people to hang around. There's no jerks on the team. There's no like, oh, that one guy, except that one guy. You right. know, we, got, we got good quality kids and they're talented and they play really hard. And I think we're going to have a really good year. We're going to switch things up a little bit offensively. We'll play a little bit differently, but, you know, we'll continue to play our solid man-to-man defense and try and grind teams out a little bit too. Of course you will. Um, Awesome. Well, can't wait to watch you guys play, and the BCL is going to be a really fun fun league to watch. So 
All right, let's get into crunch time, Tyler. Toughest player you've ever played against? Uh, Josh Akoyan. Do you know who Josh Akoyan is? He played at Cal State Fullerton. Okay. He went to high school at Casa Grande. Yeah. I worked out with him and Jeremy Rosati. This was before prolific prep yeah. in the summers. Four straight summers I worked out with him. He, D1 player, and then played in China for 10 to 12 years. Top 10 scorer in the league in China in the top league. And uh, this guy would kick my butt every day in one-on-one. Um, and it was like, I don't, I couldn't figure out how to guard him. Yeah. And it made me so much better, but man, that guy was really good. He was 5'11", bulldog strong, the best shooter I've ever seen. Um, and so he had this little sway dribble left. It was like the Jamal Crawford move, right? Where you yeah. sway dribble left. And if you don't, if you're not almost chest to chest, he's shooting it with a quick release. And then, and then, you get up on him, and then he it. just goes right by you. And even if you cut him off, he's so strong, he just puts you under the rim. And so I, I couldn't guard that guy. And it was made me a lot better playing against him every day. But, yeah, man, he could really hoop. And I saw some footage of you, Ty, this summer playing in pickup games with Calcaterra and a few other really good players too, right? I still try and play. Every year I get slower and I see the gap I'm trying to get to. Just wait till you get and, into your uh, 40s, dude. I know, I'm just trying to stay healthy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to tear anything. I just want to be healthy. Yeah. And yeah, I love playing, and I try and hop into practices now and again. Right. Especially when the energy's low, I just toss myself into practice, and they want to beat coach so bad, it just juices the practice right up. But well, it's a lot like, of fun playing. Well, again, in our you know bef- when we practice after you guys, and we're watching you guys practice, and our girls are getting ready, getting stretched out, and then every now and then, Duff Tyler's, you were there, Tyler's in on three on three games or shooting drills, and the girls will look at me like, man, Tyler can play. Like, yep. All-American. I've seen it. Um, okay, favorite coaches or players to watch in kind of the pro game or the college game, you know, D1, kind of, who, who do you like to, do you, uh, like to do you know Swarthmore College? Sure. Yeah, high academic Division three school. Yeah. Landry Kosmolski is their head coach. And uh, I think I have like a big coaching crush on that school and what they do. Man, I think they're very boring to watch if you're not a coach or really into basketball. They kind of play a vanilla style. Move the ball well. Real, like a motion offense yep. and mostly man-to-man defense. It's been a little bit different the last couple of years. But the way they execute and they play super hard and super disciplined. Yeah. It's hard to do both those things, like play hard and disciplined all the time. Sometimes you get the teams that play crazy hard but turn the ball over a ton. Or really disciplined but they don't get out in transition at all. Right. Right. So they, they can play fast. They got these big guys. Landry Kosmolski also coached at Davidson, mm. and I think he was a big guy, and he played at Davidson too. Okay. I don't know what he does to coach these big guys, but they are unbelievable scoring from the elbows, scoring back to the basket, and it's like it's really impressive to watch that team. That's my favorite team to watch. That's a good far. one. Watch them on Synergy if you have a chance. Or okay. I'm sure they have games on YouTube, too. Yeah. But that is a ton of fun. All right. That's a good deep cut. I like it. Uh, favorite gym in Marin? It has to be the San Domenico gym. I like the San Domenico gym. A lot of good memories here. Uh, I also trained with Mike Fulton in this gym Okay. Uh, when I was in eighth grade. And so I'd come in here with one of my teammates, John Dunn, and we'd, you know, do Jordan fives against the chair and play one on one, and nice. so I have a lot of memories in here. And then now I get to come back as a coach, yeah. And I just love this gym. I also love the uh, the Branson gym, just because I so many pickup games, like I mentioned before, with the McNallys, and kind of formed myself as a player in that gym too. Awesome. But I, I, I know that's not Branson's not the nicest gym, 
but it's more about what it means to you, to me individually. And Redwood has the nicest gym, right? It's got to be Redwood. Yeah, my Drake's my favorite. What's yours, Doug? Crunch time, Dave. Crunch time. <laughs> Come on. No fun. Um, okay, favorite coaching aphorism or expression or quote. Okay, thank you guys for prepping me on this. Otherwise, I would have had to scramble at the last minute. Um, but Warren Buffett has a quote, and it, I have it on my wall up here. It says, the chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. I think um, as a player, I was always told by my dad, you want to build good habits, build good habits, build good habits. And you don't really realize you're building habits when they're being done until you have them. And then you realize you have the habit of working out every day or spending 10 minutes before practice doing you know, form shooting or whatever right. it is, whatever your habit is. And then your habits will form you. You form your habits and the habits form you. Yep. And so I always tell our guys, you, you're always building habits. You just don't know which ones you're building. Right. If you're not intentional about it, they'll form you in a way you don't want to be built. That's one that I really appreciate because I think uh, it goes, everyone thinks about the heroic workout days. I just want us to be good consistently. Yeah. Like, I don't want the hero days and then the zero days. I want us to be really, really good just really solid over and over and over and over again. Yeah. I don't want the days where you, you don't show up or you bail. I just want to be just really good. And that consistency is more important than like the extreme intensity of a really high volume workout. Great, great message. Uh, last one, baby, all right, this is Duffy's. Baby clothes, Carter's or Janie and Jack? I don't know either of those. <laughs> pretty nice. You want to give them as gifts, not as gifts. Okay. Well, honestly, we got so many baby clothes as gifts that we hardly had to buy any ourselves. And we were super lucky. We had a lot of friends. And I, I know you guys gave us some great baby clothes. You guys didn't. So it's all right. It's all right, Dave. Go. I won't take it personally. But ours were not was, Carter's or Jamie. Wow. This, this, this crunch time <laughs> segment took a very dark turn for me. I, um, I know. Kyra's always like, well, put the purple one on her. <laughs> Which one is that one again? The purple one with the footies on it or the purple without the footies on it? Yeah, we've got, a, yeah. We've got serious inventory of purple. Yeah. Um, awesome. All right, man, this has been fantastic. Uh, Tyler, I'm excited to see where you take, I mean, again, 31 years old, uh, just can coach with anybody. Um, Four more years until we get him on the adult, adult league team. That's the most important thing. Point, yeah. I'll be expecting an invite as soon as my 35th birthday hits. I think I asked Tyler. I think I asked Tyler every day during the season. How old are you again? Because you're sure you're not 35. You can't be in our 35 team. But uh, anyway, thank you, man. Really appreciate the time and the thoughtful answers to all of my many questions. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. All right, take care, bud. Well, good stuff. Thank you, Coach Gaffney. And let's get uh, a quick take from you, Coach Levine. I've said this to several people over the last two years. Uh, if Tyler isn't the best coach in Marin, he's in the top three to four. Um, I, boys, girls, high school, college, whatever. I just think he is legit a great coach. And uh, again, 31 years old, so huge career ahead of him. But a um, couple things that I liked, stuff, and I know we, we probably had the same takeaways. I, I love his his focus on his team being present and resilient. I think that's... That's really a great message for, for those kids, a great message outside of just basketball and life. I think we all could be more present and more resilient. But um, I just, I really like that and that he incorporates meditation. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, very thoughtful, very thoughtful. I'm not going to get in the business of ranking coaches in Marin County, Dave, because I feel like that could get you and I in trouble. Fraught with peril. Fraught with peril, but I do agree. 
I think Tyler is a fantastic coach uh, and very thoughtful. I did like the story uh, about the book, The Inner Game of Tennis, yeah. being given to a player and then passed around the whole team. And that does kind of capture sort of, you know, his approach to cultivating, you know, both the team and the individual. Uh, and if you are an athlete out there, whether a basketball player or otherwise, and if you haven't read this book, The Inner Game of Tennis, and if you are one of those, in particular, if you're one of those athletes that tends to second guess yourself, or maybe, you know, if you're shooting the basketball, you, you, if you're struggling, maybe you start to aim it a little bit. It's a very good book to help understand sort of how the athletic mind works and how you can perhaps, you know, get away from self one and into the self two. The self-talk. Yep, yeah, absolutely. I really liked his comments about translating what we're working on in a drill into the scrimmage and in a game. And I think as coaches, we sometimes fall in love with drills and get very narrowly focused on the task at hand. So, all right, we're working on boxing out. Like Tyler used this as an example. We could do a drill for 15 minutes. The kids have got it. They're boxing out great. Then you go 20 minutes later and you're scrimmaging and they're not boxing out and they, don't, they didn't get it, right? And so right. He's, he's really good at uh, holistically looking at his team and what their needs are and how best to impart um, you know, those skills into making sure they incorporate it into where it's really important, right? Playing the game. Right. I noticed this just in a practice yesterday. We were doing a bunch of shell uh, and the kids were talking great, lots of chatter. And then we moved to another drill, which essentially is a, you know, 2v2 drill, but has, you know, an advantage from the beginning. We call it the Granucci drill. We've, nice. we've talked about it before, yeah. Dave. And suddenly there's no more talk at all because now it's 2v2 and there's an advantage and there's a distraction. So we got away from the talking you know, within five minutes. And so, yeah, I think being very thoughtful about that as a coach and bringing it back when you realize that it hasn't translated from one drill to the next is very important. It can be frustrating and it can cause you sometimes to have to ditch parts of the coaching plan, which can be, I think, frustrating right. uh, for a coach. Uh, and you may be already anchored in sort of how long a particular drill should take, but sometimes you do have to just stop and work on something until they get it. And I see that in Tyler. I also, um, just the, the little details, there was a baseline play they ran last year. I don't think they're running it again this year, so I don't believe I'm giving anything away. And it uh, is a counter off of their base out, out of bounds play. And it's a counter that leads to a lob to a big guy on a, a, a screen to the opposite block. And there's just a little detail that Tyler taught about the guy who's taking the ball out of bounds as the ref is handing the ball that he takes a, Take a little step, step yep. to the side to make that lob angle just a little bit better. And that little detail is the difference between that play yep. working and not working. Absolutely. So, he, he, I mean, this is, again, this is a, a, a small college All-American, Division Three All-American, which is no small <laughs> feat, and then a college coach. I mean, Tyler is a college coach coaching high school. Mm. You know, at, you could say the same about Ashley Saya. Yeah. Um, and just college game is different. Um, in terms of the intensity and the attention to detail. And so, um, yeah, the, the, the San Domenico kids who are uh, playing for Tyler are very lucky. Um, I really liked also, Duff, the discussion of his style. Just the, he contrasted, uh, you know, his style um, with the quote-unquote alpha male, which is, a, you know, an apt description of, of some coaches. Um, not that it's good or bad. It just is what it is, right? And so he and Bob Donlin, both this more gentle, quieter, 
style, just as effective, just different. And I like that you talked about, you know, it's not maybe your archetypical uh, quote unquote coach, but it's very effective and it's authentic to him, right? And so be authentic to you, whatever your style is, be yourself. Yeah. And yeah. the players, I think, really, um, really get it, right? So he may also be an alpha disguised as a beta, <laughs> right? I, I had a mentor to me, uh, a, a medical school mentor. Yeah who described you know, someone in leadership like that, who was just very laid back, easygoing, never raised their voice. And he said, don't be fooled. There's an alpha there. Uh, well, Fulton and I talk about this sometimes. Um, and, and with Tyler, where the three of us have talked about it, where I forget who it was gave Fulton this advice, where it's like, basically, think about it in the season, you have, like a, you have a six shooter in your pocket. And you don't want to use all those bullets on day one of practice. So if you erupt and go crazy at your team because they're making mistakes and you do that every day, they're gonna tune you out. But if you are kind of even keel, but every now and then, when you really need to, you save those bullets and you really do impart upon them your displeasure about something that they're doing, it's that much more meaningful, right? right. And, and I think Tyler is learning that because there are times where, look, his kids aren't focused and he will get on them because he needs to. He realizes, look, I can't be nice anymore. Right. It's not yeah. working. Right. I saw him do this once last fall, and he yelled at them for maybe two minutes, and the entire bout of yelling at them was all about how he really did not want to yell at them. Right. But, <laughs> right. but it's a great point. If, yeah, it's kind of like if you have to put on music to be able to get in a zone while shooting, then what happens when there's no music and it's a game, right? And you know, if, you, if your players do need to be yelled at to be motivated, eventually, you know, that is going to, you know, it, it's going to mitigate itself out. It's going to be attenuated, and you're going right. to lose. That's why some coaches that yell a lot, they might have two or three years in them with a team, and then they're going to they're going to lose them yep. you know, over time. Yep, and absolutely. They, they zone out. It's so. very true. I mean, I, I will. I'll just say the final thing I'll say on this one is I learned a lot from this interview and. Um, I go back and re-listen to a lot of our interviews, Duffy, and to try and critique myself or things that we could do better. But this one, I've re-listened to it a lot just because I've learned so much from this interview. I mean, I, I use the concepts that he talked about, um, his philosophies. He's just, I think, a really fun guy to listen to talk about coaching because he's so thoughtful about it, but also he does, puts the work in. He reads books. He watches videos. He cares a lot about this stuff. He's an expert on coaching. And as such a young guy, I'm just, I'm really excited to see where he takes his career because I think he's, I think he's just going to have a wonderful coaching career in front of him. So thank you, Tyler. Yeah, thank you, Tyler. We also uh, did ask Tyler for a season update because I, as we mentioned earlier, yeah. this interview uh, we did over a month ago, Dave. So you want to give us the San Domenico uh, men's varsity basketball team update one week into the season? Yeah, so they, they had a couple really good scrimmages. I think I mentioned in a prior one, I saw them play Marine Catholic in a scrimmage. They looked great. They had their foundation game. They traveled up to Healdsburg and um, got a nice win. They, I think it was 63-26 to 26 was the final. Um, really good uh kind of across the board performance were great on the boards. I think he said they secured 25 offensive rebounds. Gavin Early, who's a, a junior phenomenal player, uh, he had 21 and 12, uh, including seven offensive boards. Um, and uh, just really good game. Gavin is a, 
is very talented player, very fun to watch. So nice win in the foundation game. And then last night, San Domenico played Galileo and it was a very easy win. I believe, Duff, again, Duff and I shot hoops this morning. The scoreboard still had the score 57-17 on it. So I, I think that that was the final score, but um, it was an easy win for San Domenico. Uh, so off to a good start, but now they got some, some tough games coming up. So it'll be a good test. Seemed like both teams had uh, over four fouls in the fourth quarter too. Um, so clean up the fouls a little bit. If you're in a blowout blowout win, coach, let's not have some you know fourth quarter fouling. There you go. Uh, but yeah, Gavin Early, uh, really strong player and has that knack for the offensive board. And he's often is able to get it up and back in easily, which of course are, those are two different skills: getting the rebound and then getting it back in. And then uh, they, of course they have Drew Morehouse, we mentioned before. Lights out shooter, great from the corner. Yep. Uh, good all around player. So, um, among other strong players. So, look forward to uh, watching the Panthers play this year. And I think they uh, are, are set to make a pretty deep run into postseason, postseason play this year. Absolutely. Well, okay. Now, the, it is both player control time and sponsor time. So, player control is that we did not do our sponsors in the intro. We're very sorry, but we're going to give a lot of love right now to our sponsors, which include The Hub, Nike San Domenico, basketball camps, they're coming in the summer, NBBA, they have skill sessions and camps coming up soon. Mm -hmm. Thank you, NBBA. Karen Hortzmeyer, realtor at large. Go to Karen if you're looking to buy, sell a home, or even if you just want to go to a few open houses. And Jesse and Laurent, gourmet, ready to, meet, ready to eat meal delivery service. Facilitating family meals throughout the Bay Area, Sacramento, and North Tahoe region. Been feeding families for more than 40 years, Duffy, with their delicious and healthy heat and serve meals. You simply heat and serve these pre-made meals. Um, they're great, as we've talked about. They gave Duffy's family and my family some food, and we devoured it, and they deliver right to your doorstep. So, um, www.jessie. A-N-D-L-A-U-R-E-N-T dot com for more information or to set up a meal delivery. And uh, we'd love having them as a sponsor. Yeah, you can go to our website, uh, theruntmcpodcast.com, and the link is there as well. I will also note, Dave, that uh, my son Holden had a couple buddies up to Bodega Bay last weekend, uh, like a, a, you know, a, a boys' night up there. Mm -hmm. And Angela brought, I think, three different dishes from Jesse and Laurent up there and completely demolished. Nothing left afterwards. So they uh, they loved it and Angela loved it because she didn't have to cook and my parents loved it because they didn't have to do anything. Just, you know, heat and serve. Everyone was happy. It's awesome. Makes you feel like you're cooking, even if you're not. All right. Well, this has been the Run TMC podcast, a podcast about basketball in Marin County. We appreciate you listening. And we'll be back at you again in about one week. Sounds great. This guy walks into a little saloon and sits down. He draws the eyes of all the locals of this small town. Looks damn normal to me. Bandana on his head, burks on his feet, 
looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey dude, you too must be from Marin. Marin County's A-OK, from Tamastins and all the way to M.A. Fresh organic veggies in the market every day.